0: Welcome to the kickstart podcast where we highlight the stories of how professionals and kickstarted navigate their successful careers. My name is Preston, and on this episode, we have the pleasure of hosting someone who has an impressive career in software engineering before he founded Insomnia Labs, a Web3 ad tech company that helps both brands and creators create long-term successful campaigns with their expertise and tools. Billy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Preston. It's great to be here. Likewise. Happy to have you. So I think a great way to start, Billy, is for those that just don't know who you are, unfamiliar with your background, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So... I've been in the blockchain space for around six years now. Um,
1: How I first got into it was I actually, you know, took a year off school to work at a blockchain consulting company called Fractal Group. I met a lot of the kind of the cool people that I still work with today then, but back then I was kind of a newbie. So jumping into kind of Web3 was interesting for me because I was a software engineer background from then. um, And I think just having the insight of web three and understanding what it can actually do for people as individuals and organizations, as companies or nonprofits, you know, just really opened my eyes. And so from then I really decided that, you know, I wanted to do something inside web three, like no matter what. And I had the opportunity to do that after I graduated college.
0: That's really cool. Um, We'd love to obviously talk more about Web3 and Insomnia Labs, but you mentioned that you really kind of started your career in software engineering. So what drew you to engineering? Is that something you've always wanted to do? Um, How did you start on that career path?
1: Yeah, I think engineering, at least like computers in general, has always kind of drawn me. I think the idea that you could write code one time and have it be used by millions of people, I think was alluring. And you know, that type of amplification, reusability automation is just really awesome. I think if you think about the things that you could do, right, like social media being a great advent um, and an invention that really helped or could negatively impact people, but separate topic, um, but things that could you could make that has wide reach and large impact. And I think writing code and learning how to do that was very rewarding because I wanted to build things that a lot of people could touch.
0: Did you self-teach yourself? Did you learn coding at university? It was kind of a blend of both. I initially, it
1: was, I took a couple of classes um, in high school, and then I thought that it was interesting. And then I started picking it up um, as a major when I I went to NYU. And I then, uh, most of kind of what I know today is more self-taught, because I think in school, they teach you a lot of the standards. Like the foundational things that you would want to understand if it's more like interview based like if i were going to go work at google or whatnot but if you are trying to do more kind of like startupy things um you kind of need to know everything right versus you know work in a specific stack work in a specific domain i think the the mindset there is more like you need to understand how systems are formed as a whole at a more macro scale. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I learned outside of school. I think most of that I learned um, working for startups um, and working like under CTOs, interning at companies that were more up and coming. So I think a good kind of blend of both is probably needed
0: for most software devs, especially if you have like, you know, dreams of making your own company. So how do you think about engineers in general that did not go to a proper four-year university with a comp sci degree, or maybe they are self-taught, unconventional, maybe boot camps, do you think they can kind of get to where someone like yourself, um, they can close that gap? Or do you think inherently there will always be that gap just with them throughout the career? Um, Of course, there's a lot of like things that you can do on the side, self-teach yourself and you can, right? uh, just, Just learn. But do you think that there's a fundamental difference of engineers who were university taught versus those that weren't? So I know it's a bright dynamic conversation in our industry. So I just would love to kind of hear your thoughts.
1: Totally. I think that's a very interesting question. I personally think that anybody could be one as long as you're a good problem solver. Um, I think it's more about how you think and not with what you're, you know, how you're born, if that makes sense. Like, you know, I, I, I obviously think, you know, going to university makes it easier because you have more resources, like people that you know, professors or TAs that you can go and ask, or just generally the learning environment where you can like talk to your friends and build projects together. And in which case you wouldn't have to come up with all the code yourself and you're reading other people's code. Right. But I think as long as you're a very, a pretty logical person and you mm-hmm. understand how, you know, A affects B affects C and then until Z and so on and so forth, I think, you could be a very good engineer.
0: Cool. So you're saying basically, for someone like myself, I should still have hope. As the, the, the <laughs> funny thing is, the funny thing is, Billy, I actually I was one of those kids that went through summer school, and my mom put me in. A, I think it was like a C plus C++ computer summer school camp, and I remember I hated it so much, not because of like the logic and the difficulty, but it was the instructor. I think he at that point he turned me off so much so yep. badly to coding. I'm like, I don't, I, I, I have to stay far away from this, but, um, I appreciate you saying it's, it's about how you think it's about, you know, problem solving. And then if, you know, if, if you have a decent foundation of that, perhaps, you know, there, there's still hope. So I appreciate your kind words. <laughs> well, one of my friends, um, a
1: really good friend, his name is, his name is Pepe. I, I'm mm-hmm. sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, but he has been coding since he was like in fourth grade where he first, like, hacked into the school system oh my and you know, I, I won't disclose his full name but then, and he got in trouble for it, but because the school had, you know, pretty crappy IT and they left like the password, like in a random file somewhere and he just found it, right. <laughs> and he was just poking around. So he didn't really, you know, it, it's, it's just like, I think you would need to find that like inspiration or spark for you that makes it like, oh, like I could use code to do this right? Mm -hmm. And for him, it was like, oh, I could bring down a whole school system so no one has lunch for a day. And he's like, that's really cool for me. And then he went on to learn code, like how to actually do it. But I think you need to, like, like everybody does, like that inspiration for you Uh to do something. Everyone needs that spark. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Or else it's just tedious,
0: I feel like, you know,
1: because then you're just staring at a computer screen
0: for like hours sure yeah you have to certainly be like really passionate about and just love what you do but um, it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, you have always been intrigued about engineering for a long time and I think for someone that specifically recruits uh, in technology and just interfaces a lot with engineers I think if you were to ask me how did people get into engineering why do people stay engineering it's it's really like one of the th- two i think big things that you touched upon is the the fact is infinite scalability right so you can build something and everyone the four corners of the planet can theoretically use it but also you know it i guess the, the second one it really depends what you're building but also the the possibility of just having a significant impact right and hopefully like, yeah, doing great things or maybe a net positive impact for the world or whatever sector you're building it for. So uh, I think engineers will love to work with a company where you can just combine both, right? You can have that opportunity to build on something truly innovative, disruptive, that really impacts people at large scale. And I think that's really cool. And and I totally resonate that with what you said. So you go to school and then it seemed like you've always kind of been into startups or fascinated by startups. and, And then you kind of dove into the startup scene in New York after school is that is that how it worked yeah so I've actually
1: just been interning for startups ever since my sophomore year of college um I felt like freshman year you know was definitely more of me trying to understand if so it was interesting because I studied both business and computer science and so I was trying to determine you know which part of my life I liked more I liked better Um, or I wanted like fully devote myself. And so I guess sophomore year, I went to a demo day as they they would call it Mm -hmm. um, for one of the startup accelerators based in New York City. It's one of the bigger ones, Um, it's called Quake Capital. Mm -hmm. Um, And I highly recommend, you know, if you're kind of an engineering student to just go to their demo days because they kind of fund all like all the newest things that are going on, right? Back then there was a company called Node Capital that I, that was like my first internship ever. And I was like a web developer for them. So all I did really was make websites, but I was working with a very talented blockchain engineer at the time who got me more into, you know, actually coding Solidity, um, actually understanding what smart contracts do at a very deep, very technical level. Stuff that they don't really teach at school because professors, don't really know Solidity right most of the time they are they've got their jobs before Solidity was even invented and for those of you who like kind of don't know Solidity is the programming language of Ethereum Um, you know it's probably the most used smart contract writing language um, today because it's used with all kind of Ethereum based blockchains but that was kind of my first foray so I was working at a startup pretty much since sophomore year like after that I founded my own startups a couple of times, um, two times to be exact, where I worked at other startups like Fractal Group. That was more like consulting, but it was so pretty pretty new, um, pretty new as a company. And, you know, I think in general, I just always like learning on the job a lot better because it gave me this like sense of pressure um, that I had to deliver code by a certain time. And that maybe makes me a little bit, you know, masochistic in a way because I was like oh I really I I enjoy that type of pressure enjoy the time crunch because it makes me like do my best work if you will and so I've always kind of been in a startup environment ever since like sophomore year of college
0: that's super interesting there's a lot to say about people who excel under pressure or people who are aware that they excel under pressure and they intentionally put themselves in situations where it just brings out the peak performance or just unleashes your creativity or or a combination of both I think that's really interesting so it, it sounds like uh, from listening you talking for the past kind of a minute, like you've it sounds like you're very entrepreneurial. It's like you kind of dove straight into the startup world, you got intrigued and inspired by demo day and founders there, probably, and you tried a couple startups of your own. Have you started uh, other ventures before college or after college was just like your first foray into you know taking a bet for, against yourself? Yeah, so during college, I had two startups that were
1: my own. Um, my first one was called Perry, which was essentially a taskRabbit clone at the time, but it was just mostly targeting college kids who would want to work with companies that are looking for contractors. That was kind of like an interesting startup. It didn't go so well. Um, but my second startup was called Get Lost. Um and that was started with one of my dear friends. His name's Adam Kaplan. And he is, you know an amazing guy. like he's super, super smart, used to work for airlines. And we essentially made like an online travel agency, but for randomized experiences. So that was pretty fun because we were selling seats, like empty airline seats, like on behalf of airlines and selling them at like a 40% discount. And the reason we were able to do that is because you didn't know where you were going, like the destination. So for an airline who was trying to get rid of like all the empty seats, right? Like leading up to the day of the flight, you know, that's money that they've lost. You know, they were unable to sell that normally, right? Because then that would teach people to, oh, like I should wait to the last minute to buy my like flight ticket, which is bad. They don't want to encourage that behavior, but they would sell it to us because you wouldn't know where you're going. So you would get like 40, 40 to 50% off your flight and then be able to just like choose like a bucket of destinations, like the Caribbean or Europe or South America. Right, so you can kind of get into the vicinity of the place but you have no idea where you're going that was pretty fun and we ran that business for around like nine months it took me like six months to build it that was fun because i build kind of the entire thing on my own um so that was like very great learning experience because i was like wow i needed to think about everything right but we launched it for around three months and then COVID hit so that was very very unfortunate because it was actually going like decently well. We had like some, a little bit of venture backing, a few angel investors, we had actual customers, but then COVID makes it like pretty much impossible to do that business. But it might've been a good thing in disguise because, you know, now Adam is on doing great things. He has his own ventures and, you know, now I'm here. So never really know where it takes you, but that's, that's kind of like my three startup experiences.
0: That is really cool. First of all, uh, my reaction to that is it's so, especially in tech, if you want to build anything SaaS software app related, it's so much easier to do that if you're just the engineer yourself, right? Just, just hearing this, so like for me, I'm more of on like the marketing business person. So if I had the same idea, I'm like, cool. I, I think that's a great idea. Now I need to go find someone like Billy to help me build it. But like, you know, if, if, because you're an engineer yourself and I think huge props to all engineers out there, you can have an idea and you can almost just crank out an MVP or, or get to a point where like, Hey, like, you know, it's actually functioning. I can present it to people. I can maybe try and test out some, some users and customers. And it's so much easier and so much faster. And so I think uh, I'm just saying that completely. I have uh, jealousy and envy. I think that's awesome. But the second thing is that's a great idea. And I hope maybe perhaps one day you can always do a full circle and back to it. I It resonates a lot with me. Um, I know this is a little bit off topic, but I'm the type of person where I'm always I always book tickets last minute. And yes. I, I, I'm just a horrible planner specifically when it comes to vacations. And I think there is another similar business out there. I don't know what they're called. I think It's a vacation club, vacation hunt, but it's a similar premise where, uh, you pay for upfront, you select what geographic area of the world you want to go to. And they just surprise you with the destination. I love that. Yeah. It's the same model. Cause I wanted to exist. <laughs> I wanted to exist and I gotta tell you I went to so we picked Europe and we ended up in Rome Italy and we've never been Italy before and yeah. it was one of those like amazing memorable experiences where it was awesome and I walked away from that trip like wow Italy has essentially become like a non-existent country in my mind because all the other countries I want to visit to like now my favorite in Europe because of that mm. just being open-minded and just really kind of you know, taking hold and enjoy spontaneity, right? Uh, At its finest. I think that's really, really cool. That's really brave. Like
1: what I found out was that most of our customers
0: were above
1: 65 because they were retiring. So they were just straight up just traveling and they, they get bored. They're like, oh, we always go to X, Y, and Z. And so they would like argue with their wives and then they go, okay, we're going to go. It's like, we're just going to have this thing pick a place.
0: That's amazing. For any of these companies, did you hire full-time employees? Or I know that they you said they're doing these in school, so you probably have to be bootstrapped and quite lean and be resourceful. But like how how big was the team at its peak? We had
1: three people. Um, it was Adam, who was my friend. And then another guy who was also like, he was part-time. He was doing, he did UI UX design. Um, so that that was mostly what he did, like product prototyping. He actually works for me now, again. So it's pretty interesting how things like kind of trickle, but yeah, that was, was three people. We built the whole thing. Um, And, you know, I think that also kind of teaches you a lot because you wore so many hats, like you manage so many things. Um, it gives you kind of like a better understanding of like what you're capable of as well. So highly encourage anybody to just start their own business.
0: Yeah, so kudos for you doing that one, but multiple businesses. And then um, let's talk about Web3. So how did Web3 come into your life? What was the like the pivotal moment that really inspired you? And obviously just create a whole new trajectory for you in in terms of your professional life.
1: Totally. Web3, Hmm. where do I even start? So when I first got intrigued, was the idea that people can work together without having to trust each other. Um, that in computer science is like a big problem and it's called like the distributed computing problem. And it's, what's really kind of fascinating is that you could write this piece of code, put it into you know the blockchain and now nobody can really hack it if you have enough people running this blockchain. And that is pretty, In, my, and I was like, this is so genius that like, I was just like flabbergasted. I was like, I can't believe anybody even thought about this. Like this is an Einstein level, like IQ that like pumped out this type of theory and actually made it work, right? Like they actually made it happen. And I think from that, you do, you can do so many things, right? Cause like, I think humans in general, and maybe this speaks more to my outlook on life is they're, they're always kind of adversarial relationships right where but people get together to to do amazing things and so you think about like how does that happen and you think i think like most of the monumental feats that were created were not done by one person it was done by you know hundreds of thousands of people working together to make it happen right and i think blockchain is very similar where at scale if a lot of people were you know, working under the same cause, like towards the same thing, and that is kind of governed by a smart contract, you can make sure that everybody's just working towards one goal. And it would make sure that even if you tried to be adversarial, you wouldn't be able to, I had an interesting kind of concept back in college, where I wrote like a paper on decentralized nonprofits, and how you would disseminate funds using a smart contract, instead of, you know, with a lot of nonprofits, there's a lot of fraud, right? I don't want to say anything in particular, because, you know, I might get sued. But I think, like, I think everybody kind of knows that, right? Like, if you fund a 501c3, like, it's a little bit sus, like, it's kind of a vehicle for wealthy people, right? To, you know, make it look philanthropic without, you know, knowing where the money went. It's kind of like a black hole, right? Um, We see a lot of people like misuse that against the better judgment of a lot of people who might be donating. And so I started that idea and I wrote it into like this massive paper um, for my senior year. I never got around to doing it because I felt like I wasn't the right person to do it at the time. But I think it just kind of speaks to like, how can you use like Web3 as a tool is a way for people to work together, right? And whenever somebody builds a project, You know, either it's like decentralized financing or, you know, NFTs is about community building. You are the core philosophy between behind kind of blockchain is like, how do you make it so that people can work together and still
0: trust each other? Mm -hmm. And it was that foundation where you're like, wow, something like this is possible. It's available. And now I want to be able to utilize this. And, and did it just inspire to, 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 you know, then start cranking out your engineering and business solving brain to try to come up with ideas of leverage this technology. And then that's kind of how the spinning wheel started. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's it kind of was just cause I was
1: surrounded by people who were, who were like that as well. I think that in general, I think is how people become very good at things normally, unless you're like Einstein where you can just like look at clouds and be like, I know how this works. I feel like most people are not like that, right? Where you have to work with other people to share ideas. And everybody around me at that time was either like an engineer who was looking into Web3 or like a business person looking into Web3 or like a banker looking into Web3. And it was super interesting kind of seeing how everybody had a different approach to how this technology would be used. And today, all of them have their own startups in their own like different Mm -hmm. fields. Um, and mean now in advertising, um, which wasn't a field. We can talk about that you know later because that's kind of like a field that I didn't think I would end up in. But it allowed us to share ideas more freely, no judgment. Um, even if it's like really dumb, we would we would text each other. And it helped us understand the technology at a much deeper level, right? Because you see it in multiple use cases, at least in your mind. And today, because they've actually built it, you can see it in like hundreds and thousands of use cases as people started to leverage the technology and the invention.
0: So what are your just thoughts? I know uh, at the time that we're shooting this, it's late 2022. Some people say we're going through a pretty harsh crypto winter here. Um, So like... In your opinion, how did it kind of really affect the community? Uh, Did it affect the community's confidence, level of energy at all, or uh, have a lot of people just been heads down and really utilizing this time to really build that foundation, the strong foundation, so that one thing stabilized? and we go into another bull run, then hey, you know, it's kind of a gravy, if you will. So, so so what is the overall sentiment of the community that you're seeing in the blockchain Web3 NFT space right now? And then where do you think it'll go into the future?
1: Yeah, I think generally a lot of people who bought crypto as like a financial vehicle has lost a lot of money, which is very sad. And I think, you know, definitely not good as a as a whole. For people who you know believe in what the technology can do, right, and like how it can actually help people, and I feel like this always kind of happens. Like in two thousand sixteen, it happened, right? Like Bitcoin went to I think fourteen thousand dollars and immediately crashed to like half. And I think we're just seeing the exact same thing because crypto is not governed by anybody. The price it's like actual supply and demand economics in which case you know for example like with usd or you know the euro there can be slippage because of how it's used right and prices can go up and down but generally because you could the most of the supply is given by the government they can actually control the pricing right like in a way like if there's too much they could you know buy back right and if there's too little they can boost the economy. And there's like humans operating that in the, behind the scenes and being like, okay, there's too much money, there's too much money, and they just operate. Mm-hmm. And that causes like very, like much smaller volatility. And I think with crypto, because that doesn't happen, and the entire world is your, you know, operator. And so anybody at any given time can come and buy crypto that has a price impact to the coin. It's chaotic. Right. To say the least. And I feel like this space would come back in a way where there's always financial speculation, right? Like that's always going to be there and that's going to happen again. But I think the idea that a bull run is tied to price, I think is fundamentally more flawed just because you know, blockchains can also be used in the back end for a lot of different things, for a lot of different mm-hmm. use cases. And I think for businesses that are leveraging blockchain technology to, you know, get operational efficiencies like across their stacks, um, we'll find a better time and, you know, not have to be subjected to the whims of, you know, mass consumer financial speculation. I think as a general consumer though, like crypto is exciting, especially if you come from a place with like, how do I even put this? Like the government regulations around money is not as strong, right? Then there's actually like an actual use case. And that is amazing because if the legal standard of your country is bad and doesn't hold up to, you know, it has bad operators behind it, then you could use something like Bitcoin or Ethereum right as like a safe haven and be able to know that you know the internet money at least is governed there's less volatility with internet money than your own country's money right that's that's the kind of like calculus that you're doing and that use case as a financial tool makes sense to me but if you're just purely buying bitcoin or ethereum for you know price go up i think that's like a losing game in the long run um, <laughs> and I don't know. I just wouldn't recommend doing that. Not a financial, like an account wealth manager for you, but I just feel that that in the long run would be detrimental um, as a whole.
0: I Especially for those that are just emotional, uneducated, they just got in when they saw everyone else getting in or, or based on irrational FOMO. Um, I, I love how you said that You know, the price of the Bitcoin does not equal the industry, right? It's, it's completely two different things. And just because where in a winter it does not mean the entire industry is dead, all projects are dead. For, for those, obviously, especially jumping in for the, the financial benefits, and if, if their timing was significantly off, they're obviously hurting right now, but um, for those that really believe in the power of technology, its longevity of it, and the impact that it can have, and not just one sector, but a lot of different multi-sectors, I think it's still a really exciting time uh, and an exciting place to be. Almost the technically it's still the early day, early ages of, of Web3 in, in its infancy. And, and so it's, for me, it's really exciting and wild to talk to a lot of the founders who have now like Web3 powered, they're building some sort of Web3 powered app or technology in different fields. And it's just accelerating at a faster, faster pace. Um, so I'm personally excited to see where this will kind of go into the future, but it's really uh, helpful to get your uh, your insight. So let's talk about Insomnia Labs. So obviously, you know, you've you come into Web3, you embraced it, you believe in the power of it. Would you be able to share with the audience, what do you guys do again? And, and, and how big is your team? If people are curious. Totally.
1: So my team is around 15 people and we have kind of a network of contractors that we work with. Um, we actually started off, in the beginning of 2021, 2021. and we essentially had this thesis that, especially with NFTs, and for those of you who don't know, it's like non-fungible tokens, that it would be a way to do digital asset management kind of for large brands or artists. We didn't really think that at that time that people would price speculate so hard on it. I think we kind of just thought about it as like an inventory management system. And think that, oh, brands might use it to, you know, make it like a loyalty program or like a reward program, right? And build build it on the backs of you know, NFTs. So with that thesis, we went to a lot of different brands and we started just like pitching them ideas. Most of of which we were kind of thinking more on like marketing campaigns. So one of our kind of like more successful use cases was Under Armour and we worked with Steph Curry to drop a shoe called the Genesis Curry Flows. And those shoes were usable across different gaming platforms because of NFT is the underpinning technology. And so when we dropped the shoe, it was interesting because Under Armour was kind of going through a little bit of a supply chain issue, right. At the time. And so we, by selling digital shoes that were, you know, wearable by users, it kind of like helped ease that pain with, with like the supply chain issue. So we found the, it was good timing, the right business use case. And know it actually went really well so it raised like a million dollars for charity um there was around like 20 million dollars in like aftermarket trading activity and you know we were happy with how it went because i think a lot of people you know saw the work and was like started to understand like oh organizations can use it kind of as like a as a marketing tool right like as a way for you to get attention to your products right? For us, it was the shoe, but for other brands, it could be one of many different things that they could want to be doing today. And fast forward to today, you'll see a lot of brands starting to come up with their own NFTs. They might not even call it NFTs, right? Like Reddit recently did the avatar collections, I think like 80,000 of them. And I think 3 million people made a wallet just so they could do it right? But the, the, the thing there was that they didn't even say it was an NFT. So you didn't even know that you were working with a blockchain, right? And everything that is almost kind of like the exact use case that we're, we're building out for brands today, which is it's a backend system, right? You don't need to price speculate on that. And it actually just, you know, more technically gives you a lot of operational efficiency. So it's easier to manage all of your collectibles, easier to manage your reward system, if it's all in one place, easier for your teams to work on it, like together at one time, because it's all in one place, right? And the one place being the blockchain. And so if we go back and we talk about why Web3 is good for, you know, good for organizations, we say, it's because internally, all of your teams can work together and have that be governed by the code. Right. And so I think essentially that's what we've been doing with a lot of different companies and helping them set up that infrastructure. And if, if, if you kind of like think about what are the public projects that do it, I think Reddit is the best one, right? So they started a reward program basically on Reddit for like millions of people to collect digital rewards.
0: So you approach companies and brands are a lot of the the companies that you're approaching already kind of aware of, of web three and nfts or are you doing a lot of the educating yourself and Be like hey we think you know you you're a great brand with a fantastic reach global recognition and then you can use our technology infrastructure to then leverage or launch you know a certain number of uh, other exciting campaigns to further create relationships with the communities community is, is that kind of how like the general like hypothesis and the premise works
1: yeah pretty close and pretty mm-hmm. darn close like i think companies in general try to have very different levels of understanding. Like we have a client who's just like a genius and like they already know, they just want a team that can do it, right? So they would kind of, you know, give us a blueprint and be like, this is kind of how I want it. Like translate this into, you know, actual dev, actual work. And then we can help them do that. But there are others that want a little bit more holistic where they go, well, you know, we want to target really to web three specific users right and because we've kind of been in the space we have that understanding a lot better and so we become more like strategic advisory instead right so Uh. our services kind of broaden depending on the agency we work with and or the company we work with and the companies are generally very large so think like l'oreal and like under armor um and and people people like or brands like that. We're actually not to kind of show our own product, but we made a new product that actually makes it easier for anybody to do it, like smaller to medium-sized organizations, um, celebrity team, celebrity teams, developers that are trying to do it. And so we we're kind of going towards that direction where we understand that a lot of people are going to be interested in how to make NFTs, how to use it for your business, even if you don't call it an NFT for you know mass market purposes, right? Mm-hmm. For just doing marketing for your own, but as of what we've done today, like we're not there yet. Most of the time, we still work as an agency currently. And we help brands think through like web three, all the implications from like legal to finance to tech, to what is your what do you have right now, like as your business and how can we use web three to help you? How
0: difficult is it for you guys to get clients, especially it sounds like Um, the companies are going after these old, you know, big companies, some of them dinosaurs have been around for for a long time and and many would consider perhaps old school, right? So like, how, like, have you experienced a lot of pushback, a lot of just, you have to educate them or are most people just genuinely intrigued?
1: I think most people are are intrigued and we try to meet them halfway um, because like, they could be intrigued, but be like, I don't want to spend money on this, right? But some of them could be intrigued and be like, we want to do a pilot program. If the pilot program is successful, they will fund it, right? So it's kind of like that where I think especially we mostly think about NFT from an advertising, from a content, from a media standpoint um, and how it engages with users, you know, make that one-on-one relationship. We are educating them, I would say like a good 50% of the time, but another 50% of the time is just helping them navigate within their own ecosystems, right? Cause like, you know, in a large company there's so many departments and there's so many people that you would need to get buy-in from. So how do you get buy-in from your legal team? How do you get buy-in from your accounting team? How do you get buy-in from your media, social media marketing teams, right? So we kind of help advise them and be like, oh, we need this from legal. And we'll be like, you could, you might be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and they said, okay, that would work. We'll be like, this doesn't work. And we go back to it again. This is, and then it kind of just, how do we help them get the product out? In how many,
0: how many clients or products have you done since inception?
1: So let me see three, four, four. And then there's two coming out by the end of the year.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And what's like the typical life cycle of a project? Is it typically like six months type of thing?
1: Yeah, I think normally pitching could just take forever. Like pitching <laughs> could take anywhere between like a month. Oh my they're like really fast to like six months, which is like, I hate personally, but you know, sometimes you just have to do it.
0: <laughs> so as, as the owner of like a, a recruiting business that functions very similar to the leaders, like a very consulting high level strategy agency, I totally empathize generating businesses, pitching the clients and in, in an ideal scenario, we want that cycle to be as short and small as possible. Uh, but it seems like with, with you guys, it's an extra level of complexity because uh, something like an NFT it, you don't, you can't just talk and get a buy-in from one person it has to be multi-divisional. Um, and so yeah. I I empathize with that, and I hope that uh, you guys continue to 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 do, to do well. Your team has about fifteen people. Are all those full time? Fifteen is full time. Wow, so, that's incredible. But I would say like
1: there's a lot more that you know is just maybe pulled on a needs basis. Mm-hmm. Like you know we contract out a decent amount for creative work, so it's more like coming up with like media assets. Um, Or because sometimes like we would be tasked to make a full-blown commercial, right? That explains how our NFTs work. And we have a creative team in-house who can do that, but, you know, they they can't shoot a whole commercial on their own. They're more like creative directors and they would need to pull in like a whole like 40 people team to actually like make that happen, Mm -hmm. right? So we can also manage that in-house. Mostly, you know, the brands would never really have to pay anybody else to make it. Like we could just make it. Um, But then we on the back end is then, you know, taking on the responsibility to find the right people to do the job.
0: I got to say, building a team to 10, 15 in this market in New York City, in the middle of a recession, post pandemic is highly respectable. And so huge kudos to you and the team. You know, just what has been your... favorite channel when it comes to just finding great people to join your team? Are you guys utilizing your own own networks? Perhaps a bunch of them are friends,
1: affiliates, referrals. I think referrals is huge. I think, especially with engineers, like usually good engineers know other good engineers. When I was working at WeWork, they did that a lot. And I found that that was pretty effective, but you can't rely solely on that. So we do have kind of an HR head who does a lot of the sourcing himself like using kind of LinkedIn or AngelList is a pretty good one for us. There are kind of Web3 specific like HR channels that we tap sometimes, but those, you know, we usually have to sort through pretty heavily because some of the people are, you know, not exactly compliant, like can't work with people in the US, right? So we have to like weed those people out. But for the most part, I think we were able to handle it in-house because we don't have to grow exponentially, right? If we, let's say, did our series A or B, then different story, because we're then hiring like 40 people to 100 people. But, you know, we're kind of a seed round company. Um, we did raise a seed. Um, we closed like 2.7 million um, as of last month. And we're kind of using that to grow a lot of our engineering teams right now. Um, and looking to kind of pilot that product that we're talking about. And we've been building that thing for a while. We've been building that thing for like seven months, but now we're kind of getting close to you know, launch. Like there's even more things that we didn't even think about that we're kind of just like patching, patching the fires with, I would say. So I think it all depends. Like a lot of times we get a lot of inbound from these like large enterprises all of a sudden and we would have to scale our teams in general, like we always have a network of people who are available. I think that's part of like what we like to be doing is, you know, just knowing a lot of people, right? Like knowing a lot of engineers, everybody, I think on my team kind of knows like another 50 people that they would be tapping. And so that's how I think we've been able to keep it smaller than most companies that are in their, in our space. Like you see a lot of company raising like $100 million. And then they would just like blow through that by hiring 200 people. (laughs) And then you're like, hmm, I don't know if that's like, for us, it doesn't really work that way. Like we kind of just think, okay, we have 15 people, but each of us can reach like 50 people, which means you know if we need to, then we, we, we bring in the right people. And that has worked pretty well for us. So that's a big kudos to my team. So shout out to them.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great that you guys are being intentional. You guys are growing cautiously, but in a, in a very smart strategic way, especially in, in an, niche um, like web three where it's not, it's not massive. It, it is growing very, very quickly. Um, I'm talking specifically about talent, right? So it's, it's It's really cool to see that you and your team are being quite resourceful and very successful at that. Just being able to constantly maintain relationships or bring them in at the right time to, to, to continue to grow your team. What, is there anything about your team company by Insani Labs that you would say is very unique in terms of like the internal culture, what do you guys do something different? Um, it, or, you know, if, is there a reason why someone uh, should be excited, for example, to, to work at Insomnia Labs?
1: Yeah, um, I think people in general, and it's kind of in our name, Insomnia is like, we work all the time. So from like a culture standpoint, is really the type of people we look for, which is like, People who just enjoy the work, but that being said, like we do, make sure that there are days where people just can't bother you, right? Because then, if you're just like working all the time, you go crazy. For me, like that's Saturday, and I tell like everybody that if you talk to me on Saturday, it better be like our entire code base is being hacked, like like or else like you just cannot contact. And, and I encourage a lot of people to do that as well because you really need your own days. Um, I love like my team and their ability to just crank. But I think sometimes it's like finding that balance for you. I don't know, like, because we're a startup, we look for people with kind of the startup mentality. So like people were probably a little bit more ambitious, like people who try to bite off more, they can chew. Like if you find yourself that doing that a lot, then maybe you are a good fit. Um, we help you regulate that. So we give you enough, so enough for you to chew instead of too much. And I think in general, people who have their own ideas, I think is always the key. Um, I like to tell people that one of the things that I, I resonate a lot with is like, the fact that ideas can really come at any time, anywhere. Like I could be in the shower, I could be swimming, I could be, you know, playing with my dog. But anytime, anywhere ideas can come. And we find people who really seize the day when they do have an idea, right? When it hits them, they go into like overdrive and they go, I can't sleep until... I like at least think about this or talk to someone about it and like try to put something together right now. And we want that to continue to be our DNA, like going forward, because it's it is how you do the best work and it is how people find themselves in situations that they would never normally find themselves in. Um, I'm sure you would probably agree as well. You know, I'm sure there's so many things as like a founder um, that you would probably think about all the time. So. Yeah, I think that's
0: generally, I think just people who are excited about what they do, people who are excited about their own ideas. Couple more questions, I know we're running out of time, but like, what would you say is the future of Insomnia Labs? Is it basically reiterate, just cranking and and iterating and evolving what you're currently doing with bigger and bigger projects, bigger and bigger clients, Um, anything in particular that you're really excited about for the future? Absolutely, so our product, we have a whole suite of products
1: coming out that I think is gonna be really interesting. I think we've built enough enterprise-grade software that we can now spin them out and then for everybody to use. And we're excited to do that. So, you know, at the core, we're a tech company. At the core, you know, even though we do advisory and strategy for companies, you know, we enjoy building products. Like, that's kind of the most fun because, as as I said, it reaches the most people and has the most impact. So, yeah, I think you're going to see probably a lot of products come out from our side. Um, in the next year, especially. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: Perfect. And then for someone that started as an engineer, who is now a founder of a fast growing company, Billy, I know before you told me that you were just trying to figure out whether the business side resonated with you or the engineering side resonated with you. What would you say resonates with you now? I would definitely still say the tech. I don't think it really gets away from
1: that because the tech is reality. You know, I think business is... And I love I kind of love the business games we play sometimes like when you're talking about deals and partnerships, but if you approach it more methodically, I don't know, it's more real. I think more genuine, more authentic, and less like people would want, want to work with you more. I, and I, I I like that 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 part of approaching business as well. So I definitely think like foundationally, I've always been an engineer. I don't think I would change from that, but you know, even solving business problems. Like I do generally approach it like an engineer, which my partner sometimes gets mad at me for, but you know, I do think the tech side speaks to me.
0: Last question for, for people who are listening and they would love to follow in your footsteps one day, whether it's starting, you know, one company or multiple companies, having a successful career. Uh, what is one advice that you'd like to share to the listeners? Just
1: be curious. Honestly, I think most of the times ideas die because we don't put it together. And it is much smarter, in my opinion, to just fail fast, fail early than to not having, having realized any of your idea potential at all. And as my, that might be easier to say than done, especially because most of the things that I like to do, I can build on in my hands. But I think for most people, there is that one thing that you're extremely good at, right? Or there's that one thing that you're extremely passionate about. And building around those things and the ideas that you have around those things you know, they can't lose. They just can't. Like, even if it doesn't work because there's no product market fit, even if people are telling you that it's like dumb, but how would you know until you've actually done it? Like, how would you know? And that at least keeps me awake if I don't do it and I go, okay, well, I need to at least try. I think I'm sure there's a lot of people who would resonate with that, which is, I, you don't know until you've tried and you just, you just
0: got to do it. You just have to go for it. it. Just well, go for- before I let you go, Billy, if people really want to reach out to you, maybe apply one day, they want to just follow the progress of you and Insomnia Labs, where can they reach out to you? Where can they find you? They can find me on our website,
1: which is insomnialabs.io.
0: And Perfect. we
1: have a contact form there. But if you want my email, it's also just billy at insomnialabs.io. So very easy to find you.
0: Billy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing more insight about your life, the impressive companies that you built and now the great things you guys are doing in Somnia. I will personally be following you guys. I'm a huge fan of Web3, NFT and all the power of that technology and the impact it has on the world. Um, but I will not take up that much more time. I know you have a lot of other exciting uh, projects, team and clients that you have to go and deal with. So I uh, appreciate it again. Wish you and your team nothing but tremendous success and looking forward to keep in touch with you. Thank you so much, Preston. Have a great one. You too. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe for other great stories that are coming up. If you need any help with hiring, know of anyone who's looking for a job or would like to be a guest on this podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at www.kickstartfinder.com. Really, really appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next one.